All right. I did a sermon about in two, around 2010. It was about the churches of uh, Revelation. This is one of the first things you read about when you go to Revelation. And it's very, very important that we as um, people who study the Bible and, and everyone that understands what that whole thing about the churches is all about. Because not only at the time when it was written, it was a prophecy for us is also history. And a lot of people um, have, are having the conversation, there's no proof. There's like, how do you prove that the Bible's true? Well, if you study prophecy in the Bible and then you look through history, you see that it proves itself over and over and over again. That's very scientifically <laughs> how that would work. All right. And so when I done that sermon in 2010, I went through like all seven churches in that sermon. Well, <laughs> There's so much material that there's no way you can cover even a quarter of what's all there in that in one sermon. So what I'm doing right now is a series over each individual church as well as uh, John the, the Revelator. Um, and so if you want to watch that, you can go to our YouTube channel. And we have a playlist. Um, but the first one was on um, May the 8th of 2022. But it goes on through uh, January. And this is the fifth of the, of the seven churches. So this is the Church of Sardis. So today I want to focus on a comparison between um, Thyatira and the Church of Sardis. And I didn't change that slide, but I didn't. Um, and I'm going to be mindful of the time because I know that we're trying to give people time to go home and rest and get back up here for the tonight. So I am, I'm watching the clock. I will be mindful of that. But in these last couple of sermons, in the last two sermons, I do want to make a disclaimer. We are talking about the Catholic Church. And I always want to remind people we're not talking about individuals. We're talking about the organizations, the bylaws, the, the way it's set up, um, and the, the uh, edicts and the way uh, history played itself out. We are not talking about Catholic people because there are good God-serving people in the Catholic church, just like there's in every church. And we love them, and, and they love the Lord, and we just want to make that, I want to make that absolutely clear. Um, but we do have to go over facts, what happened when what is happening now. Okay. So the significance of the letters. Each one of the churches was an actual church existing in an actual city around 95 AD. So these were literal letters that were sent out to literal churches. But they weren't just letters to the churches. They were also um, representations of the different types of churches because each church has its own personality each church has its own things that it did and didn't do there were two churches that actually the lord didn't have anything negative to say about but the rest of the churches he had problems in uh, with those churches but this is not one of those churches uh and the third is it's a it's actually a time period throughout history from the time of christ up until to, um, to the Lord comes back. So we are actually in one of these churches, and that'll be the last sermon. That is the Church of Laodicea. All right? And I'm going to show you a map, because I'm going to very quickly go through this. But uh, if you're wondering, like always, if you're wondering what part of the world we're talking about, um, John wrote Revelation on the island of Patmos, um, and that is in the Mediterranean Sea. If you're wondering what countries that's going to be bordering around, think of Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, that part of the world. And if you're wondering where the actual churches are located, it's actually located in uh, Turk, the present-day uh, Turkey on the coast, 
right around the Mediterranean Sea. All right. And each of these uh, spiritual, uh, each one of these churches had like a spiritual message that the Lord is portraying to that church. And I tried to, I'm just trying to summarize kind of like what those messages are. For Ephesus, it was return to thy first love. Smyrna was be faithful unto death. Pergamos was remain faithful. Thyatira, which I don't think I said that right, um, keeps my keep my works. And Sardis is about overcoming what they were going to have to overcome. And it's a little bit different than um, Smyrna. Because where Smyrna was being persecuted, this was actually a spiritual issue that they were going through because this is we're talking about the Reformation and we're talking about the counter-Reformation that was happening during this period of time. Okay, so the Church of Ephesus is from 31 AD to around 100 AD. This is around the time of John when he was writing this. And... Basically, what was happening, this is when the church was new and they had that first love where they, 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 most of these people had met Jesus. They knew Jesus and they loved him for what he did. And he, he gave them the mission to go out into the world and spread the gospel. And they went out and they spread the gospel. This church had that purity, that first love that comes with, like, if you just come into the church and you're on fire for the Lord. This is what these people had. But it was not a perfect church. But they, because people came in and tried to um, preach things that was like counter to what the Lord has said. Um, and like I said, if you want to watch, read, go through that whole sermon, I have one listed already up. But that's what's happening at this church. This is that first love. Um, and so let me read the summary from that. This is the promise that the Lord made to this church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 2, 7. In this promise to the faithful, Jesus takes the mind of his people toward Eden, uh, to Eden restored at last. And so in that sermon, what the whole message was, was about was everybody should stop and look at yourself and examine yourself and ask yourself this question. Do you still have that first love? Are you on fire for the Lord? And if the answer is, I don't know or no, then you really need to examine that. Because in these last days, we're going to have to have that first love. And that's what he was talking about in this church. The next church was in uh, the church of Smyrna. And this was from about 100 A.D. to 313 A.D. And if you don't know about this church, this church was the persecuted church. This was the first time um, Rome actually, from, a, uh, from the top level, because the, the, the Christians during this period, they had been persecuted, but they were all on local levels. They weren't from the actual, like, the, the emperor. This was the time when Emperor Diocletian actually had ten, uh, issued 10 years of persecution where they would throw uh, the, the followers of Christ into uh, coliseums and have lions tear them apart and gladiators do all these, these, um, these basically, these killings. And, these, and these, this was a time period where this church was really persecuted. But, but the Christians would gather together in secret places and worship together during this, during this time. And so they had to um, be faithful even to the end um, during this time. And this was the promise that the Lord made to this church. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of you sent the second death. Revelation 2.11 the promise to this church, but if they that if faithful, they would not be hurt by the second death. This means they would be raised to have eternal life. 
how kind Jesus was to point out to these dear people going through this terrible time that he had also been dead and rose again. So they, if faithful, would also, would also. And so it was, if you notice something, the Lord's message to the first church was return to thy first love. And the reason why they really needed to turn to their first love, because they were going to need that to get through this period of time when they were going to be persecuted. We are going to go through a time of persecution as well. And so it's very important that we return to our first love for this same very reason. Then the next church was the Church of Pergamos. And this was from three, around 313 A.D. to around 538 A.D. And this was the rise of the papal power. power. This is when Constantine came into the, into the picture. And if you, if you go through that sermon, which the, the whole gist of what was happening was, during the Church of Smyrna, it was unpopular to be a Christian. During the Church of Pergamos, it became popular to be a Christian. And with that popularity... What started to happen is the, 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 the state, uh, the Constantine started to merge uh, Christianity and paganism together. All right. And through that, mer- that, that conversion of the two, it diluted the message. It, it, it changed um, the dynamics. And those Christians had to make a choice. Do I follow the Lord and the Lord only or do I compromise? And that's what was happening. The, the, the Christians were being asked to compromise. So. This is the promise that the Lord made to the, to the church of Pergamos. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saith he that receiveth it. Revelations 2.17. And in this promise, he uses the word overcometh, which is, I thought was interesting because this, in, this, in the church of Sardis, he uses the same word again. Because this is a compromise that we're going to talk about today that happened in the church of Sardis. Before the church of Pergamos, Jesus promises those who remain faithful that they would eat of the hidden manna and have a white stone with a new name. A new name. The hidden manna meant several things. The first one was the assurance that God would feed and care for them even if they have to flee into the wilderness like ancient Israel who was fed as they wandered in the wilderness. It also meant that even though their leaders and ministers were proving false, they were not being given spiritual food in the fallen church. Jesus himself would give them spiritual food and be their teacher. That is the same for us today. Okay. So, the last sermon we did was the Church of Theratira, when it's from 538 A.D. to around 517 A.D., and if you notice the dates, this is the time of the Dark Ages, the, the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. And it's called the Dark Ages because this was the time of spiritual darkness. Because the church that came out of Pergamos, uh, the Pope and the, and the, and the um, Catholic Church, it wanted to gain dominion over the world. And, and to do that, it tried to take away the word of God from the common people. So that you had to come to the church in order to get spiritually fed. And they would use that as a way to gain power and, and wealth. That if you wanted to be prayed for, if you wanted to uh, pray for loved ones that they, that they told you were in um, purgatory, that you would have to pay penance to them. That you would have to do these things in order for a a, 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 a a, a bishop or, a, or whatever would pray for your people and, they, and that could get them into heaven. It was a time of spiritual darkness. However, 
God's true people, and God has always had a people, no matter what's been going on, no matter how much the persecution was going on, he's always had a people. And, and during this time, there were groups of Christians that would hide in the wilderness. The most famous of them would be the Waldenses um, that kept the word of God and, and, and kept the faith even through, through this, these dark ages. Even through uh, the, the, the Catholic Church would persecute the people that, that, that disobeyed their edicts. And so I wanted to compare this church to the church of Sardis. Because you're still dealing with kind of the same time period, but you're just dealing with the beginning of the Reformation, and then you're dealing with the Reformation in full-blown. Um, and what you're going to notice, uh, during the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna, whenever the God's people are persecuted, the faith grows. The church grows. But when the church compromises and becomes popular, the, tr- the faith strengths because Satan learned through persecution he was actually achieving the opposite so during the dark ages you see this um, he tried to to vanquish God's people and eradicate them through that period it didn't work and so then like he's asking the church the reformation to compromise in um, in Thyatira so this is what we're going to go over that 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 uh that church again then we're going to do Sardis and if I have time if I have time I'm going to do something over about tradition because that's what that was about all right, and this is what it says. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Lord of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works in charity, and service and faith, and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first, Revelations two eighteen through 19. Now, Thyatira means sacrifice and humility. We see Jesus is no longer talking to the great church that has set itself up as the ruler of the world, but rather to his true church now hiding in the wilderness. The apostate church had not repented, but had kept on doing wickedness and bringing in pagan practices. Jesus had removed their candlestick and there were no longer any church of his. The faithful who had refused to go along with the majority had fled into the wilderness uh, areas, and now Jesus sees them as his true church on earth. This is the church of the 1260 years of papal persecution from 538 to 5, uh, 1517, the start of the Reformation. Jesus is pleased with their works as they humbly do their best to serve him and still share his truth with the world, though it often costs their lives. Their works are so wonderful that Jesus mentions them twice. So, yeah, during this period in the Dark Ages, they had to go into the mountains. And the, and the church would send armies to try to, to find them out. Um, and, they, and the Lord would protect them. But whenever they allow people to come in amongst them and preach doctrine, just like the church of, of, of Ephesus, that's when the, uh, the, the church could actually reach those people and persecute them. But as long as they remained faithful and didn't, allow, and, and, and didn't allow those doctrines to be preached amongst them, the Lord kept them safe. And this is... Um, this is kind of what we're talking about here. So then it says, this church is not perfect. It says, Notwithstand, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffers the woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Revelations 2, chapter 20. But there was a problem. They were allowing, there was a problem. They were allowing Jezebel to come among them. Who was this? In the Bible, Jezebel was the wicked wife of Ahab that led Israel into idol worship. So here it is meant that they were compromising at times by allowing teachers from Rome to come in and teach among them. This message talks about adultery. 
In the Bible, God says when his people were joined with earthly rulers and also with pagan idol worshipers, that they commit adultery. Just like a wife who runs away with another man who is not her husband, Jesus calls his true church his bride. As long as the churches of the wilderness remain pure and stay completely true to the Bible truth, they, got, they, they receive great protection from God. Sometimes even armies had, had sent out to destroy them were smitten with terror and fled away without ever coming near the people of God. Other times God sent fog or storms to help his people and hide them from their enemies. But when weary of persecution... They made deals with the Romans and began to give in on even small points of truth. God cannot protect them so well, and terrible slaughters occurred. When Satan can, can't get us to go all, all wrong, he tries to get us to decide it is okay to just give a little bit for peace and to make others happy. But once we do this, Jesus cannot keep us fully safe, and soon Satan gets us all the way into his ranks. Never give in to wrong or even a little bit. Basically, Century after century after century of being in persecution and hiding in the wilderness, there were times where they would their faith would they would they would, they would, it would fall a little bit, and they would allow Rome to come in and they would compromise on little things. But whenever they did that, terrible things followed suit. That's basically what was happening here. So let me keep going here. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Revelations 2, chapter 22 and 23. Here is clear prophecy made by Jesus that the course of the church was following to seek worldly power and control nations and kings will lead to great suffering and strife. The great tribulation referred to here is the 1200 and 60 years of papal persecution. And you could do a whole series over the 1260 years about what happened. There's so much tragedy and so much death, so much persecution happened because men wanted to use God's authority to gain dominion over the world. And it still happens today. But during that 1260 years, this is why it was called the Dark Ages because it was, it was just a dark period in, in the world's history. Um. But it said, and I'll continue here. It says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depth of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none of other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. Revelation 2, 24 and 25. Here that Jesus is encouraging those who had not gotten mixed up in this power-seeking and compromise with the world. Although they may not know as much as they ought to, he accepts them as they are doing their honest best to serve him. This is, this is basically a foreshadowing to our time. We're going to be asked to compromise, to being um, union with the rest of the world. As the world comes together and tries to unite, it's going to ask, hey, could you compromise on the Sabbath day? Maybe you could worship on the Sunday. It's still Sabbath. It's still, it's still a day of worship. But just compromise a little bit and we can all be together. And basically, if we do not hold strong, and we compromise God's protection, we will lose it. That's basically what happened happened to the church of Sardis. But we're almost there. The promise, he said, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And as the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received my father, and I will give him the morning star. 
He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Revelations 2, chapter 26, 29. And the church in those days was busy seeking power to rule the nations of the earth. The faithful were solely harassed and hounded by church and state powers. But Jesus was telling the faithful ones that if they were to were true to him, the day would come when they would have the victory and real power through him. Jesus here promises that the morning star, this is a wonder, wonderful promise for several meanings. Jesus is the bright and morning star. So these people would have Jesus with them in their trials. The morning star appeared close to dawn. So this means that even though through the terrible darkness of the dark ages was, was, was with them, the dawn would come again. Wycliffe, who was the first of the reformers to start trying to return the word of God to the common people, was known as the morning star of the Reformation. Yes, the dawn would come. The darkness would be made to flee. And so, near the end of this period, this is when the reformers start to, to come. Wycliffe, Martin Luther, you know, all, like all those people started coming back. And this is, this is when the people started to get the, like they started the printing press and then they started getting the word into people's hands. And now the truth is coming out. So, we transition from that period of the of the era to Sardis and the churches like the Baptist church, the Methodist church and all the different churches from these reformers, they slowly start bringing back the biblical truths, the, the Ten Commandments. One by one, they're coming back into place. And Satan notices this, but he has a plan because he always does. So this is what happens. So let's go ahead and read um, chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6. And I'll go ahead and read that. All right, so now we're in the church of Sardis. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast the name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou, thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which um, have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, that word again, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, I think we're in the most danger, not when we're being physically persecuted, but when we're being spiritually persecuted. When compromise is offered for peace, that is when we're in the most danger because it is natural and human to want peace and comfort. We do not seek pain and suffering and persecution. But that is what, but that, that is what um, uh, Satan knows he can use to, when the church is growing um, to really t- to defeat it. And so let's start with the first part of, uh, of, of this church. The first verses. And unto the angel of the, uh, of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath in the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be, and, uh, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that they are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Revelations 3, 1 and 2. Sardis means what remains. And we see Jesus saying that there were still some good things remaining in this church. But they needed to be strengthened. 
This is the time of the Protestant churches that grew out of the Reformation. The Reformation started out as their terror, humble and faithful, eagerly searching the Bible for heaven-sent um, truth. During this time of, of this early Reformation period, this church was still their terror. But there came a time when they stopped seeking for, uh, seeking for truth and became proud and stopped searching the scriptures. Instead, they made creeds and decided they would not believe in anything that their fathers had not believed. Then Jesus could not teach them anymore. He told them that even though they thought they were so good, they were spiritually dead. Basically what happened was they had been keeping a firm grasp on, on the truth, the God's word, and been trying to follow what the Lord had said for them to do. But they became proud of the, the, the progress in getting away from the Catholic Church and setting up their new churches that they started to do the very same thing that the Catholic Church did. They started to set their own creeds and their own traditions. And, they, and, they, and it says here that they would not do anything that their fathers would not believe. Well, basically that's the spirit of resisting change. And God needs us to do what in order to become more like him? To change. So when we resist the change, he cannot reach us anymore. Because we're unwilling to change. That is, the, that is one reason why we struggle so much with evangelism. Because people have set their hearts where they don't want to change. They're comfortable. Especially in first world countries. Like especially in America. People are so comfortable. Why would you change? Why do you need change? I was speaking to the pastor a week or so ago. And he was talking about um, like in these other countries where they're baptizing thousands of people at a time. Why? Because they're struggling, they, and they're trying to find the good, like they're trying to find the Lord, even if they don't realize it. And when someone comes to them with the truth, they're so willing to change that it becomes infectious, and then they have these mass conversions, because they're willing to change. And that even goes for our church. We have to be careful about being resistant to change. We should measure everything by the Bible, but when we get to the point where we say, our way is perfect, we're in trouble. That's basically what's happening here. And so let me go, let me, let me keep it going here. The terrible state of affairs seemed to come about after the Council of Trent, which began Rome's counter-reformation. The Protestant reformers coming out of the Church of Rome had refused to acknowledge the Bible Sabbath, which had kept by most of the, had been kept by most of the church in the wilderness, and clung to the Sunday, which had no higher authority than the decrees of the papacy. During this time, even most of the Waldenses dropped the Sabbath so as to be in harmony with the Reformation. By, by doing this, they gave Rome the opening she needed to regather her forces, and after the Council of Trent, the Jesuits went all over the world enforcing the dictates of the papacy as of higher authority than the Bible. And I've done the whole sermons over the Jesuits before. But basically, they start this counter-Reformation because... The, rep, the, the, the churches left an opening for the church to do this because they refused to accept all of the Ten Commandments. They took nine, but they left arguably the most important one, the one that said, to remember, <laughs> we forgot. <laughs> so let me keep going here. Along with the rejection of biblical Sabbath, the ferocity of these Jesuit militia of Rome may have been one of the reasons the Protestant churches dug in and stayed on their old creeds instead of progressing to true, clear truth. Soon there were just as much following tradition as had the papacy before them. 
And in, in, in Revelations 3, 3 and 4, it says, Remember, therefore, hath thou received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have, have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Jesus is here telling, to, telling them to remember how the reformers first started getting the wonderful light of the gospel. It was through searching of the word of God for themselves and obeying what they found there. Those who do, did not do this were blessed and remained spiritually alive. They were the worthy ones. There were many missionaries that gave all they had, including their lives, to carry Bible light to the dark countries of the earth. There were reformers who brought clear Bible truth to the Protestant churches, but sadly they were mostly persecuted by the state churches, just as Rome had persecuted the early reformers. And so the promise that the Lord makes to these people, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Revelations 3, 5, and 6. Jesus says that there were a few faithful ones uh, among them that if they were overcomers, they would remain in his book of life. He warned the others that if they did not watch, he would come as a thief and they would not know it. This is exactly what happened when the Great Advent Awakening began to happen in the 1830s. Most of the popular churches rejected it. Their candlestick was removed and given to a small, humble group that chose to study and follow the Word of God instead of the popular way. There, were many, there are many still today who think they are alive and, and just fine spiritually, but they are really dead to Jesus and his claims on their lives. And basically, we're talking about the Church of Philadelphia, which is the church after this church. And remember... The early Advent um, believers weren't Adventists. <laughs> they were Baptists, Methodists, and all the members of the other churches that chose to take all Ten Commandments rather than follow tradition. And their study of the word is what brought out of that movement the Adventist church. They weren't already Adventists, which a lot of people don't understand that. They were all the churches. And it's just kind of funny. What do you think the world would have been like if it had the Reformation they had accepted all, all of God's commandments and all the churches worshipped on the Sabbath. Maybe the church wouldn't be so splintered as it is today. We have a thousand denominations with all kinds of beliefs from any spectrum you want to believe in. And because of it, what could be a powerful force for the Lord today is, is separated and divided, even amongst ourselves. Even in an individual church like the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have a spectrum of beliefs. <laughs> Right. So basically, we have to be careful. Everything has to be measured by the word of God. And we have to be willing to change if the word of God is asking you to change. When we refuse, that is when Satan gets his opening and he comes into your life and he wrecks havoc. We have five minutes to 12. Do I have time to do this little section? Do I have time? Okay. This little section, I, I, I like, I read this, I thought it was a pretty good, uh, succinct, and um, it's called The Dangers of Tradition. Um, let me just read it to you. Tradition is a comfortable thing for many of us because it's familiar and holds no unwelcome surprises. In the physical realm, we find reassurance in doing things the way we become accustomed to. However, in the spiritual realm, we must be careful that traditional thoughts and ideas don't pull us away from the truth found in the scriptures. 
following tradition may be the path of least resistance, but worldly and religious philosophies don't always agree with God's word. The we've always done it this way mentality is resistant to change. This type of thinking puts us at risk of becoming stagnant. That's a word. Interesting. Are we stagnant? Uh, I've talked to a lot of people. And a lot of people feel like even our church is stagnant. Like there's, what? Where's the movement? Where is this? Where is this wave of, of fire that's coming from the church and going out and, and and moving lives? We don't even see that amongst hardly any church. When we're the, when Christianity is one of the biggest religions on the earth, stagnant. That's a word I like to kind of jumped out at me when I read this, but. That's a good way to measure how caught up in tradition could we be. Some people are proud of this mindset. Many churches even boast about their own traditions. The Bible warns us about this danger. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Colossians 2.8 this, this was true during Jesus' ministry and is still true today. The problem with blindly following tradition is that tradition is based on surface appearances and what others think. Strict adherence to it leads us to obsess over empty rituals. While on earth, Jesus had run-ins over this with the religious leaders of the day. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said, said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Mark 7, 5-9, through 9, and verse 13. I think every, I, I'm going to speak of that right now, I'm talking about churches as a whole. We really need to be careful about like, letting our ways that we do things not allow us to do things that we could do differently to reach people. For an example, why aren't we going into the places where the sinners are at? Right? There's a lot of people will not go into places because that's where the sinners are. <laughs> right? Or it's dangerous <laughs> to go into that neighborhood. I'm not going over there. But that's what Jesus told us to do. Right? We got to go where they are. We, what we want to do is put out an advertisement and tell them to come here. That's comfortable. That's what we do. But how many of us is going into the dangerous places and the dark places and the dirty and dingy places and preaching the word of God at risk of your life? Not many of us. We'll do things to a point, but once it gets uncomfortable, that's when we start to back off. That's why our missionaries are so important. They'll go into those dangerous parts of the world and they'll preach the word of God and they, they bear fruit. God, and some of them do lose their lives. You can't go in there not expecting, like, I, 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 am, I can't be hurt. Yes, you can be hurt. But you have to be willing to go through whatever it takes to do what the Lord says. So I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. 
Our church is not perfect. No church is perfect. And we are not really doing everything we can do. Not really. All right. Today's traditions, religious doctrines are widely accepted and highly popular. Yet they contradict what God says. When we unquestionably accept what we hear without properly dividing the word, we don't benefit from God's promises. And this is a promise. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached, the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them, but that heard it. Hebrews 4, 2. God's word is available to everyone, but worldly traditions block the faith required to receive what he has for us. Believing religious dogma leads to wrong ideas about sin grace and the authority of the believer and keeps us from living powerful lives. The world around us encourages us to settle comfortably into traditions handed down from previous generations, but God takes a dim view of this. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. 1 Timothy verses 4 and 7. He calls us to move out of our comfort zone and follow his prompting, which involves following the path he makes for us. This is a scary proposition for some people because it involves facing the unknown and trusting him. Breaking away from our old familiar ways takes courage, but we don't have to be afraid when we feel God prompting us to part company with religious tradition. He's trying to guide and direct us. We can trust that he will always have something better for us than what the world offers. And that's basically what this message was to this church. They had a choice to make. They went 90% of the way, (laughs) but they didn't go all the way. And this is why he had a problem with this church. And that little, that one concession opened up the, the whole opportunity for the counter-reformation to happen. And that's how the church started persecuting again the people who were trying to worship the Lord. Because even a lot, of, many of the Waldenses abandoned the Sabbath for the sake of joining with the Reformation. That's, that's what compromise does. And that's why he used that word again, overcome it. He used it in Sardis, and then he used it again in this, for this church. Overcome that temptation to compromise for the sake of peace. Because we, the church of Laodicea, are about to be faced with that same option. Will you worship on Sunday for the peace and comfort of not being persecuted that, was, that follows that edict? But what they don't know is, I would rather be persecuted by them than what they are going to go through during that time period. So we all got a choice to make. That's what it really comes down to. So the next sermon we go over is Philadelphia. This is probably the one that's closest to this church's heart because it is our history. It is the, um, it is the rise of the Seventh-day Adventist church from the other churches. And this is the church that brought back the fourth commandment that was left out in that part of that church of Sardis. And we're going to go over how that kind of went down. Most of us know the history, but we're going to go over it again for anybody who doesn't know the history. And then the final church is the church of Laodicea, which is our church, which, by the way, is the most pitiful one of all of them. That's where we are. <laughs> but I just hope, and now I'm for the quick, so we can get out of here. As we do this um, seminar tonight, as we're reaching out to people, we've got to open up our hearts and be willing to do something that's uncomfortable sometimes in order to reach people. Some of our most productive things have been just like the, the, the vision ministry and the, and the, um, the uh, dentist ministry we did two years ago. 
we, that was one of the most productive things that we have done because we stepped outside of our normal box and said, okay, let's just attend to the needs of the people. And we had a lot of people come out, right? But that's what, but guess what? That's what the Lord asked us to do. He, what did the Lord do? He went out and he ministered to their needs first. Then those people were open to their ministering of their spiritual needs. So maybe we need to follow his way he's told us to do. And maybe we should follow him when he says, you're going to have to be willing to get uncomfortable and risk something in order to get that reward of a safe soul. All right. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much. I ask a special blessing of everyone who's in this church right now and whoever's listening. Lord, we are trying to worship you, Lord, and we're trying to serve you the best way we can. And Lord, there's a lot of good hearts in here, a lot of good people who want to serve you and do your will, Lord. And it's the world the way it is, it can get confusing and you can get bombarded with everything and you can get lost, Lord. But, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes and give us clarity and focus and show us what we need to do to serve you. Lord, we ask for you to give us courage to strengthen our backbone and to be willing to do what we're not willing to do in order to reach the people that we need to reach. We acknowledge that you are giving us time, that you have postponed your second coming to give us time, Lord. And we ask that you show us how to use that time to the best of our ability. Lord, we ask for a special prayer for tonight, for the message tonight, that the people who come are blessed. And may they start developing a relationship with you and that they can um, have that peace of knowing that they are one with you, Lord. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.